episode 51 with Sarah Vance is about to start, and I have to say, this was probably one of my most favorite interviews so far. And I know that's a big thing to say, but the moment you hear Sarah speak, you'll understand what I'm talking about. She goes so far in depth with body image and what she does to help women feel better about themselves and their own skin. It's unbelievable. And I honestly need to get her on the show again because we could have dove into so many other things because she can just talk your ear off. Like I barely got any of my questions in and I feel like I just had to end it and an hour wasn't enough. So can't wait to share this episode with you guys and let's just get this thing started. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me today is Sarah Vance. Say hello. Hey everybody, how's it going? Uh, So to start off, can you tell the audience what you got planned for the weekend? Oh, what do I have planned? I don't know. I just moved to another state that's surrounded by mountains. So I think that I may try to do some hiking this weekend. Um, That's pretty much it. I don't really like to plan things out. You know, I just kind of see how I'm feeling and go from there. But I'd like to go out in the mountains if I could. Nice. What, What state did you move to? North Carolina. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, so for the whole audience, can you tell them who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry? Yeah, so my name is Sarah Vance, obviously, and um, I'm a body image and self-worth coach. So I help individuals get off the diet cycle, mostly women get off the diet cycle, let go of perfectionism, all or nothing mentality, and body hate so they can just feel at peace with their own body and around food and knowing that they're enough as they are. So they can really start to understand that, um, they don't need a certain type of body or a certain weight, size, shape, et cetera, in order to feel confident, worthy, enough, successful, lovable, et cetera, et cetera. And ultimately, I help individuals live their damn lives now versus waiting until they hit a certain number on the scale or a certain gene size. That's awesome. So how did you like figure out that like I want to be a body image coach? Because like for me, this is kind of the first time I've seen someone, you know, self-title themselves a body image coach which Mm -hmm. is like pretty awesome because I know there's a lot of like female coaches out there that kind of help women as part of their training but as a individual that's completely just a body image coach like how did you get into that yeah so um it was basically through my own journey, um, in combination through my own personal journey and with my professional journey. So, um, you know, I started out within the fitness industry probably about maybe 10 years ago now. Um, after I graduated college, I'm an ICU nurse. I've been an ICU nurse for nine years. So I work in the health industry, um, side job as a health and health nurse. Um, but So I basically, after I graduated college, knew that I wanted to start taking care of myself. But underneath that was the idea that I actually just wanted to lose weight. So I started going to the gym and I got into strength training and I really love strength training. Um, I started doing kind of basically just powerlifting movements, um, really fell in love with that, started building a community within that um, through the internet. Thank God for the internet at times. (laughs) Um, And I met some individuals that were actually going to a big fitness expo. And when I was there, um, I saw a bikini competitor and I thought, well, that's what I, I need in my life. I just need to compete. Um, there was a lot of stuff that was going on in my life at that time. You know, I was a new grad in an ICU and obviously the ICU setting, you're exposed to a lot of stuff that normal people are not exposed to. So it was my first time be- being exposed to many things such as death. Um, and b- mainly that like death heartache is it's intense. Obviously that's why it's the ICU. So it was my first time being exposed to that. And and there was issues going on in my relationship at the time with my um, ex-fiance. Um, my parents and my best friends had moved states away. So there was a lot of stuff going on in my life that I just felt like something needed to give. So 
for me, I felt like, oh my God, this is it. Like, I just need to be this bikini competitor. Like I need to look like this and everything will be, everything will work out just fine. Like it'll, it'll fix my relationship. I'll feel great. It'll be great. So I ended up hiring a coach, um, and a bikini competitor coach, and I ended up competing. Um, so I was basically on this rigorous plan for, I want to say like a year and a half, ended up competing a lot within that time. Um, went to nationals, went to some of the bigger shows like at the Arnold Expo and stuff. Um, and then once I went to nationals, you know, as I progressed with my competition status, um, you know, it was always reaching the next level. That's kind of the name of the game. When you go through competing, it's, you know, how, how can I get leaner? What can I quote unquote fix? What do I need to improve? Quote unquote, all this other bullshit. Um, so by the time that I got to nationals, nonetheless, I was a pretty much in an eating disorder. Um, I had a really messed up relationship with my body, really messed up relationship with food. Um, I was bouncing from restriction to binge. I was using exercise as a tool of punishment. I no longer enjoyed it. I lost my period, lost my hair. My nails were brittle, no energy, no sex drive, all the side effects that come with um, restriction and over-exercising. Um, and I remember laying on the beach and just being like, is this it? Like, is this, I was doing a, a photo shoot and I was like, is this really what this is all about? So I knew at that time in the back of my head being a nurse, that something needed to give because I had like a lot of anxiety. Um, and my body was obviously rebelling against this. It was telling me something needed to give. So I knew I needed to take a step back, but when you are disordered and have so much invested into what you look like and food, it really does become your life. So of course I did what many people do. I became a personal trainer. Um, and Fast forward to eventually going to California for a fitness expo based on for entrepreneurs, um, working with a top photographer in the realm of fitness. And I still was very disordered, very low cal caloric intake, two a days in the gym, still the same disordered ways. I never did change, but I remember walking into this photo shoot and the photographer saying, don't worry, we'll Photoshop your stomach. Um, and that was kind of one of the, the big highlights of me kind of being like, wow, this is really fucked up. Um, because I, here I was taking these photos and I was selling a lie to other women. It was, it was a, fa a facade. It was one complete lie. It was a complete illusion. Um, I was by no means healthy. I was by no means happy or confident or any of that stuff. I was extremely disordered and extremely unhealthy. Um, I was very not confident in my body, um, or with myself, not even just my body. I just was not, it was a lie. Everything that I had been taught from the fitness industry was an illusion. And I was going down that route of, you know, selling that same illusion. So I still continued moving forward with being a personal trainer. Um, I only, took on, um, female clients and I only took them on, um, when they didn't have weight loss or fat loss goals. I was pretty stern about that. But during my consultations, I was hearing all these amazing human beings that were successful and just brilliant, powerful women um, really belittle themselves. And for the first time in my life, I was hearing what I was saying to myself behind closed doors. I was hearing it being expressed outwardly from these women. And I started realizing this isn't just me. Like this is almost an epidemic of how we feel about our bodies and where we think that our worth lies and that we think that our appearance is the most important thing about us and that we're struggling so much with how we look and our gene size and our weight and the food that we eat and feeling bad and our relationship with movement. Um, so I, that was another really big wake up call. So I ended up completely stopping the gym not being a personal trainer. Um, there was the first time in my life that I wasn't in the gym for, I think like six months because I really needed to work on my own recovery process and really healing my relationship with my body. Um, and through that process, I realized that this is what I want to do because there's so much more out there for your life versus just spending it on the constant quest for weight loss, which is just futile. Um, and there's so much more to living and knowing that your worthiness does not lie on the basis of your appearance and really understanding who you are. So you could ultimately live the life that you truly want to live, um, versus just watching it exist before your eyes while you're chasing this number. Um, so that's how I kind of got into body image coaching. So now I basically help women all over the world, um, break free of that same 
diet mentality and feel peace within their bodies so they could ultimately go live their lives because we all have more important things to do than worry about what we look like. Man, that was so, a lot of information. Yeah, it's such a yeah. it's such a long, long story, but it all inter- intertwines with the with like it all kind of comes together. That's why I have to tell it. You can't just give like little snippets of it all because yeah. it doesn't make sense in the big picture, you know. So yeah, it's a long story. I wish there, that was the Cliff Notes version of it too. <laughs> so if I could Cliff Note that even further, but yeah, it's it's been a process. So. No, but you're like completely right. Because when I first started in the industry, I worked for a big box gym. And that was the thing was like fitness competitions, like everyone was doing them. And like, the women, especially it was such a big population of them. And they were always you would see it like a brand new woman would come to the gym, they'll start exercising. And then, you know, a couple months in, they're already doing a competition. And I remember like training a handful of these women and getting really close to the competition, they have like almost like a mental breakdown that they're like, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not lean enough. And I'm like, Oh my God, you look amazing. (laughs) And it's so interesting how like, you know, they go into a competition thinking that they're going to improve themselves, but they just like bring on all these other issues that they didn't know they had. Yeah. I mean, I really think that, you know, especially the fitness industry as a whole is a disaster. It's completely rooted in diet culture, which I'm completely against. Um, and it's very much rooted in fat phobia too, which I don't know if we'll get into that discussion. Um, but you know, the bikini competitions or bodybuilding in general really is just a glorified eating disorder. If we really look at it, it's a glorified way of having a disordered relationship with your body and food. Um, because if we really did that to another human being, what, what the bodybuilding, um, you know, industry wants us to do to ourselves, we would all be in, you know, up in arms about it. We wouldn't allow that to happen to a, an animal, like a dog. We wouldn't starve them. We wouldn't, you know, run them past exhaustion. We wouldn't try to, make them, you know, lose all this body fat to the point where their hormones get messed up. And dieting as a whole is actually super damaging to your own mental well-being and also your body. It does have major ramifications that I don't think many people talk about. So the bodybuilding, you know, whole industry in and of itself, it's no wonder that so many people end up having, you know, a really messed up relationship with their body and food. And when you get to the point of having low body fat, which is, you know, practically required for competing, um, it definitely has a toll on you uh, mentally, which I think, you know, within the fitness industry, your mental health is not talked about enough um, or at all. I mean, we, we don't even focus on it. People are so obsessed with just this physical um, idea of health that we have now put our mental well-being on the, on the back burner without even thinking about it. So meanwhile, you know, many of us are stressed out. We may, you know, have a messed up relationship with food. I mean, there, if you look at it statistically, a lot of individuals have a pretty messed up relationship with food in their body. I think it's like close to 80 some or 90 some percent. I don't remember the statistic um, right off the top of my head, but a lot of individuals in general, and then you just add on, you know, the preoccupation with your body. That's what bodybuilding is. It's a preoccupation with trying to achieve a certain look or a certain appearance. And so it's really, it's a messed up mentality. Um, it's a, it's messed up. So it's not something that I support at all now. Um, I actively speak out against it, if anything, because I think that it's very problematic. Well, you're like 100 percent right, because I've seen it time after time again, like someone finishes their show and they go into like a binge cycle of all the stuff they couldn't eat. They'll like gain 15 to 20 pounds and then they're like MIA from the gym for a couple months and then they're right back at it like, oh, I need to like get all this weight off of me. I need to get lean again. And it's almost like how you said it's like a punishment, like I need to exercise to undo all the wrong that I did. Yeah, I mean, that just really speaks to the mentality in general that we have associated with bodies and and weight gain. I mean, that really is the fat phobia that is so prevalent and and pervasive within our culture and our society that our society is extremely fat phobic. So we're fearful of weight gain or fat and um, or fat or being in a fat body or existing in a fat body or even fat bodies as a whole. We discriminate against them. We stigmatize them. We have bias against fat bodies. And 
in our culture and our society, we're constantly running away from that. And diet culture plays into that because it's saying, well, this is how you ultimately don't be fat. And our society and our culture, um, you know, has associated fatness with meaning X, Y, and Z, which is bullshit, you know, and we have associated thinness or leanness within the fitness industry. It's really just, you know, thinspo at a sports bra is what many people say. That's what fit, the fitspo is. Um, we associate thinness with being, you know, equivalent with being confident, worthy, successful, loved, um, you know, all these things, which is, is really just an illusion. It's a, it's a perception that we've all been taught. Um, and it's something that I actively speak out against. I mean, that's why the diet industry and the quote unquote health and beauty industry is like an $80 billion industry, um, because it completely, um, you know, is all based on fat phobia and also based on our own insecurities. And that's what we all constantly buy into. So that's what happens when these individuals go off the diet cycle or, you know, their prep, quote unquote, their prep. Initially, they have the, um, pendulum swing the other way because that's how restriction works when it's, it's really is, you know, it's a whole cycle that exists. So when we restrict one way, we are swinging the pendulum all the way over, say to the side of the left. And when we finally quote unquote, let go and we give ourselves permission to eat or have a cheat meal or our competition is over, our pendulum swings all the way over to the right and we end up binging. And then because we have associated that behavior with it being sometimes type of moral thing that's done wrong. We beat ourselves up. We have all these guilt and shame emotions come into play. And then we have this mentality that, oh my God, I'm going to lose weight. So we reactively go back to restriction. And so then we get these individuals that are just swinging back and forth from, from restriction to binging. Um, and it's all based on the diet cycle and around fat phobia, because if we didn't fear weight gain, if we just could say, okay, I've gained 15, 20 pounds, it doesn't matter. This is what my body naturally wants to do. Um, because many, times we're just fighting our own body set point of what it really naturally wants to look like. Um, if we didn't have fat phobia exist, many of us would have a better relationship with food movement and our bodies. And we actually would be opening the door to have and experience those things like confidence, uh, love, worthiness, all that stuff that I've been talking about. So it's, it's very much, um, a culture society thing. It's, it's very complex when you really get into diet mentality and why so many people are chasing thinness or chasing leanness. Man, that was again, so good. Um, where was I going to go with this? Um, so with all that being said, do you think like the fitness industry as a whole, like the coaches that we follow and admire, do you think we're doing enough to kind of give out good information or are we kind of failing all the people out there that fall into these traps of diets and cleanses and all that bullshit out there? I mean, you can't really overgeneralize everybody, right? Because I think there are some individuals, especially, um, you know, in the community that I specifically work on or work in rather the body positive movement, the fat acceptance movement and the health at every size movement. There are some really amazing coaches that are not, um, talking about weight loss and actively speaking against, you know, diet culture and really taking fitness and health from a perspective of, uh, weight neutrality, um, versus having it be on the condition of looking a certain way way or having it be on the condition of losing weight. So I can't overgeneralize and say every single individual, but as a whole, generally speaking, if we were going to say that the majority of the individuals are actually just perpetuating this, uh, this stuff, right? Because we are, now we have multi-level marketing where we are selling, you know, stuff. We have monetary value that is now invested in us. And especially if you're working in the fitness industry, it's much easier to make money if you're going to be selling the pursuit of weight loss than what it is to say, Hey, you know what? Your body is good enough as it is. Why don't we just work on helping you feel good in your body? What do you actually enjoy doing? Um, how is your relationship with food, your body and movement as a whole? Because many people, um, personal trainers, coaches and stuff, we're not even interviewing our our clients. We're not even asking them these very important questions of what is your relationship like with your body, food and movement, which I think is very problematic because we're missing individuals 
individuals that actually do have an eating disorder or may be susceptible to having disordered eating or that need to really reframe, um, reframe their relationship with movement. So I think that as a whole, if we could do anything, it would be to educate ourselves on um, health at every size and understand that the pursuit of weight loss is actually extremely damaging to us mentally as well as physically um, and start really taking an approach where it is more neutral, where we're talking about compassion, kindness, and respect for ourselves and our body versus coming from a place of punishment, uh, guilt, shame, fear, all those things, which is very much what the majority of fitness um, is currently. So I think that as a whole, the one thing that we could do is it starts with ourselves as coaches. We, we really need to educate ourselves. We need to check our own bias that we have in relation to bodies and especially fat bodies. And we need to educate ourselves around health because there's a lot of misinformation out there in the health industry and in the fitness industry related to um, health and size, which really is two completely different topics. But we have now um, merged them together to be one. Um, so I think the biggest thing we could do is check our own bias and ask ourselves, how do we actually feel about fat bodies? How are we talking about fat bodies? What are we saying to our clients? How are we um, showing up in our own coaching style? Are we asking our clients to push past their own fatigue? Are we telling them to not listen to their body signals? What are we saying? Um, Because it all starts with us. And then I think once we can really get within our own self and um, kind of reframe some things and really understand the truth behind things, then that's going to just naturally bleed over to our clients. Um, so that would be my biggest thing, I guess, within the fitness industry. But there are many, there are many, um, fitness professionals that are doing really amazing work from a place of health at every size, uh, and body respect, compassion, and kindness. So they're, they are out there, they're gems, but, um, they are out there. And I think um, it's kind of cool to see the coaches that take it one step further and show that they're vulnerable too. And like, I've had this discussion before with clients where they're like, oh, so what did you do over the weekend? I'm like, oh, I ate a burger. And they're like, you eat burgers? I'm like, yeah, like I eat a burger just like anybody else. And, you know, sometimes clients almost have this vision that their trainers is like this perfect human being that has all their shit together. And they're like, one day I can be just like you. But in reality, like, coaches are just like everyday people and showing that at least in my opinion like showing that to clients that you know you're just like them you can kind of almost relate a little bit better and then they actually have a little bit more motivation and maybe a higher success rate on getting to their goal yeah I mean I think that really normalizing eating in general and getting rid of the morality around food. Like for instance, understanding that a burger is just food. It's the same, really understanding that all food is just food. Um, because especially in the fitness industry, we have this mentality of good versus bad, all or nothing, uh, black and white mentality, which is really just rooted in perfectionism. Um, and, and that's very prominent within the fitness industry as a whole, the perfect body, the perfect workout, the perfect way to eat all this perfect driven mentality um, is not really helping anybody. So when we can really just see food as just food and normalize that, um, we can start actually eating more intuitively, which is on the basis of our own body's cues. Because what happens is the fitness industry and the diet industry has completely obliterated our own um, trust within our own selves. So where we look at fitness professionals, we look at personal trainers, we look at the gurus, and we, uh, we try to say, what should I eat? Versus checking in with ourselves and saying, what do I actually joy? What do I think my body needs? What's best for me? What can I provide myself? Because not everybody can actually eat the way that, uh, the general fitness, um, you know, society wants them to eat related to, um, many different facets related to money, time, situation. I mean, not everybody is privileged to uphold the fitness ideal, which is a whole nother topic of conversation. Um, but I think that we really need to normalize all foods and start to understand that we can trust ourselves, um, that we do know what we're doing. If we just listen to our bodies and learn to reconnect with them, um, that it is possible to have all foods exist in your life, um, without having it be such a big deal where you just see food is food and that's it, where you'll actually not feel the pressure to eat a certain way, such as eating vegetables, because that's really prominent within the fitness industry, where you won't feel the pressure to eat protein or eat complex carbs or eat your vegetables. You won't feel 
feel that pressure and feel bad when you don't, but you'll also be okay with eating things that are traditionally not seen as accepting or acceptable within the fitness industry. You can just see that food is just food. It all can exist within your life. Um, and when you allow that and give yourself permission to actually have all foods, your body will actually work itself out. But we have to really rebuild that trust that has been obliterated because of diet culture. Um, and for us always looking for other people versus within our own self and for our own guidance. Uh, so that being said, I'd be really curious to know, like, how do you coach nutrition with your clients? Like, what's your method and like process? Well, that's the other thing. I mean, coaching nutrition would be out of my scope of practice, you know, so I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a registered dietitian. And I think that if somebody has specific nutritional uh, questions, then I would, you know, give them the information to a nutritionist or a registered dietitian that is in alignment with my own beliefs and values. Um, because that's another thing within the fitness industry, people are personal trainers that are giving nutrition advice. That's completely out of their scope of practice. They shouldn't be doing that. Um, the same with a nutritionist giving somebody fitness, um, advice and how to move their body. It's out of their scope of practice. So it's a matter of really staying in your own lane and doing what you are best at, what you're educated at. Um, but I mean, more specifically, the question of how do I approach food with my clients in general, um, not necessarily around nutrition is ultimately, um, having them understand that they could eat whatever the hell they want, whenever they want, as much as they want, um, and that all food is basically equal, that food is just food. So we really do a lot of work at normalizing all food, rebuilding self-trust, and a lot of work about around unconditional permission, um, where they could eat a piece of cake if for breakfast if they want. They could eat it again in an hour. They could eat whatever, literally whatever they want, when they want, however much they want. Um, and obviously when I first say that coming from diet mentality and the fitness industry, that's like, Whoa, Oh my God, like, what are you doing? Um, you're, you're telling people they can eat whatever. Yeah, I am. Because when we start to go through the process of normalizing all foods, um, you will see that, you know, you, you're not going to have this reactive situation, which oftentimes is very normal to happen. When we say you can have whatever you want, people go through the reactive, you know, stage of the swinging of the pendulum and eating all these foods, but that happens for a few reasons. Their body needs to normalize. So many times they're restricting. Um, so their body actually needs food and calories and just oftentimes just food in general. Um, and that's going to be hyper palatable foods. So it's going to be high fat foods, sugar foods, and that's okay. So normalizing and working through the mentality around that, um, and still giving themselves permission, understanding respect and compassion. Um, but once that pendulum swings, if they keep moving through that stage, because it happens to almost all individuals, they will start to normalize and come back to their own quote unquote normal way of eating where food just exists in their lives. They, they are able to make autonomous decisions based on what is best for them. Um, and what happens, and it's really a beautiful magical moment is because these individuals will end up craving things like a salad or Brussels sprouts. And they're like, Oh my God, I never thought that it would get to the point where I wouldn't have to force myself to eat these things, but I would just naturally want them. And that's what happens with normalizing food and really retouch getting in touch with your own cues is that food does exist. And then you can just eat whatever the hell you want. Um, and sometimes Sometimes it's going to be a cheeseburger, cake, whatever. And sometimes it's going to be a salad or Brussels sprouts or tilapia. Well, it doesn't matter. It's just food. Um, so the biggest thing would be unconditional permission. And really, it's a lot of unlearning um, and relearning to really trust your own body. Now, do you ever like coach your clients to say like emotional eating or binge eating? Or is that something else you'd also want to defer to somebody else with uh, more experience? So I really try to get behind the mentality around, um, obviously binge eating is a type of eating disorder. So if they truly have binge eating disorder, they need to see a team because that's an actual eating disorder. But sometimes and many times individuals will have reactive binge eating related to the diet cycle. So it's not that individual's issue in and of itself. It's actually the diet cycle that is flawed and sets an individual up to actually binge. Um, if, because again, it's one big cycle. Once you restrict that binge 
pendulum swings one way and then you can only will your way against biology for so long. Um, and eventually your body is going to want to say, Hey, you know what? I need some effing food. So it's going to binge. And then what happens is then the emotions start to come where we feel bad about ourselves. We feel like we failed. We're disgusting. The shame and guilt start to come into play. We say, fuck it. I already quote unquote messed up. And then we go right back into the cycle again with restriction. So there's, there's two different things. If it's a true binge eating disorder, they need to see an entire team associated in that specializes with an eating disorder. If it's reactive binge eating, which is just reactive related to dieting and restriction, the, the key would be to ultimately not diet and restrict, um, and understand that that will, um, relax and you will come out to find your own normal. Um, but the biggest thing would be understanding that it's okay. Um, it's okay to emotionally eat. It's okay to eat past fullness. It's okay to be uncomfortable when you do eat. Um, that stuff happens. And as human beings, we all emotionally eat at some point. So this idea of quote unquote, overcoming emotional eating, um, I really like to look at it from a different perspective and really try to be allowing ourselves permission to emotionally eat. Because it's the guilt and shame associated with emotional eating that oftentimes is actually the more more of a problem. Because if we didn't find it as something that we had to overcome, that we didn't find shameful, whatever, we could just say, yeah, you know what? Like I ate, I, I ate some ice cream. Um, I did this, that, or the other um, because I was feeling X, Y, and Z. Um, so allowing ourselves permission and compassion during that moment, but also having them start to feel emotions and start to process emotions because obviously we know that eating and dieting. So there's two, there's actually two components of that because people actually do restrict emotional restriction. Um, so it's not just emotional eating. We actually do emotional restriction, but nobody wants to talk about that part. Um, but people manipulate food intake for a variety of reasons based on their emotions. Um, but if we allow ourselves permission to eat, we start expressing our emotions. We understand that emotional eating isn't going to quote unquote fix the problem. Um, and then we could start to add in. So instead of just getting rid of emotional eating, we allow it to exist and then also add in other coping strategies. And then eventually those coping strategies will be what we ultimately usually end up going to because we know that's how is what's actually going to help me work through this particular emotion. But the first thing we would have to do, obviously, is to start allowing ourselves to feel emotions in general. So another like big one I see a lot with clients is like when they're like super stressed out, that's when they're going to reach for like, you know, a bucket of ice cream or they're going to have a whole bottle of wine to themselves anytime their life gets super stressed. So in your opinion, is that like an okay thing or would you want to limit how many times people kind of reach for those foods and alcohol to make them feel better? I think that it starts with understanding like what is going on because emotional eating is actually just, um, a way you can, you can reframe it to see it as a way of your body and yourself telling you that something is going on. There's something going on that I'm trying to numb, distract and avoid. What is that? And how can I actually, if, and once we find out what that is through, you know, somebody like a coach like me or a therapy or whatever, or your own introspection work of just being curious and asking questions, then you can start to say, okay, this is what's really going on. And understanding that the food and the wine and all that, um, isn't going to fix that problem. So how can I cope with myself? So I don't ever say don't do those things because that's just restriction. Um, and as we know, restriction doesn't actually do anything for us. So, um, you know, restriction or what's, what's the word for it? Um, abstinence, abstinence, the abstinence model to emotional eating oftentimes backfires with individuals because it's just restriction. So when we allow permission and curiosity and compassion and respect, then we can start to say, okay, what's really going on here? Like I'm eating, I keep going to this ice cream. I keep going to this wine. What's going on with me today? What's going on in my life? Um, what am I trying to not feel and how can I start feeling those emotions and feeling emotions, you know, in our society, especially the ones that we associate as quote unquote negative, because I don't believe in any type of negative or positive emotion. They're just emotions. Um, but when we start to 
feel negative emotions, we oftentimes turn away from it, right? Because nobody wants to feel it. But when we start to allow ourselves to feel those emotions like loneliness, betrayal, rejection, um, and even guilt and shame, then we can actually start moving those emotions and working through them a little bit versus just having them kind of hide out and fester and start to be pushed deeper and deeper because eventually they're going to come out. So I don't practice through the abstinence um, perspective of emotional eating. Um, I would use more of curiosity and compassion to see what's really going on. Oh, you're right. Cause it's mostly like work stress or life stress. That's kind of the trigger almost. So I always ask like my clients will like kind of figure out more information, what's going on, you know, behind the scenes, whether or not with me or not chatting with me online. And so like, I agree with you. Like I wouldn't want to be like, no, no more wine. Stop doing that. That's stupid. Cause then yeah, you go in that cycle where you restrict yourself and then you're like, okay, fuck it. I'm back to where I was. Yeah. And I mean, emotional eating is just a way of coping, right? So, um, it's really, that's really what it is. It's a coping mechanism and we all need coping mechanisms. We all have them. That's just a human thing. We all need them. Um, but when we can use curiosity, then we can say, okay, well maybe it's that I'm super stressed at work or my life. Like what can I do? What are other self, what kind of self care things can I do for myself? Um, maybe I just need to, you know, like do nothing for a day. Maybe I need to call one of my friends and just like express my emotions and be like, oh, today fucking sucks, you know, or maybe I need to like go out in nature. What is going to help me? Um, what are some self-care strategies that I could do for myself to work through this? Or maybe it means really looking at my job and saying, okay, maybe um, I need to talk to my boss about decreasing the workload that I have, or maybe my job is so shitty that I need to think about considering if I can, and if it's possible, actually shift changing jobs completely. Um, or maybe I need to really address that situation going on with me and my significant other. Maybe we need some counseling, um, to have a better relationship. So I think we can use curiosity and then really start to do all those self-care things that really encompass just self-preservation and caring for ourselves, filling our cup back up to then work through those emotions. Okay, gotcha. Um, so I wanted to shift into body image because this is kind of like a big topic that I've been following for the last probably like five years. Do you think that a woman with body image issues, like, can she overcome it? Or is it something that you can just quiet down and kind of live with? Like, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, from somebody that had a negative body image, you can definitely overcome it. I think that it really, it's a process. So, um, you know, this has obviously been five years um, from my initial journey, but you can definitely overcome it and you could come to a place of peace um, within your body. I think that there is this idea that um, having a positive body image means that you're going to be completely in love with your body and you're going to like every single aspect, every single inch. You're just going to love it. You're going to wake up and you're going to be like, I love love my body. I think that is the problem. We have a mis uh, we have a misconception that that means that you have a positive body image, but that's not what it actually is. It's okay if you don't like certain aspects of your body. It's just moving it from a place of I hate my body and and thinking that your worthiness is based on what your appearance is or your genes or whatever and having a preoccupation with your body to moving to a place of neutrality and acceptance. And acceptance really is just seeing what it is and then understanding like this is my body and I have better shit to do in my life. Um, so I think that there is just this misguided um, idea of what having a positive body image is, but yeah, you can totally overcome and come to a place of peace and respect, compassion, kindness, and trust. And an, in general acceptance and freedom is what I like to say within your body. Absolutely. That's definitely a possibility. Okay. So how would you kind of like structure, I don't know if you would call it a program or a course on how to overcome body image. If you had like a brand new client that signed up with you, like what would be your kind of method towards that? Oh, well, every client is completely different. Like yeah. we really need to understand that obviously this is all learned. Like we, we are taught to hate our bodies. We are taught these things. We are taught these belief systems. Um, so it all starts with, you know, a understanding the diet cycle and stop not dieting. But on top of that, um, really, 
seeing and understanding what in your life is adding power to these negative thoughts that you have in your mind and becoming aware of those thoughts and becoming curious. I think curiosity is really um, underestimated and how powerful it can be just to start questioning stuff. Like, where did I learn this? Um, What's really going on? Like, how does this make me feel? What's behind these emotions? What does it mean to me um, if I say something like, my body is disgusting? Like, what does that actually mean? Um, And then a lot of it, most of it actually, is just around our belief system. It's around shifting beliefs, which is really hard work, you know? Um, So, I mean, there are some things, obviously, if somebody is new, completely new to uh, this work, I have a whole program, Breaking Boundaries, is dedicated to individuals that are just starting out on this journey. And the the three things that I always tell people, it's in my free gift, and this is stuff I always say, is to A, get rid of your scale, smash it, blow it up, run it over, throw it in the ocean, set it on fire, whatever you need to go do, get rid of the scale because that is going to be the ultimate like way to start processing that your worth is outside of your body. Um, and to really start undoing that belief system that we have associated with, um, weight. Um, so get, getting rid of your scale, Um, expanding our visual diet. So our visual diet is what we actively see with our eyes. So there's only like 5% of bodies are actually represented in um, mainstream media. Uh, 5%, like that's not many of us are actually represented. So if we're constantly seeing only one type of body, which is thin, white, able, um, you know, those are the main things that we're seeing, if we're only seeing that, that's what our idea is going to be of, well, this is what beauty is. This is what worthiness is. This is what I should be striving for. So we really need to expand our visual diet. So what that means is by opening up diversity. So following individuals that are larger than you, that are different than you and start just seeing different bodies in general. So that actually takes conscious effort. And on top of that, that also means unfollowing. So shifting your social media and what you're actually seeing with your visual diet. So unfollowing people that are making you feel like shit and then start expanding your visual diet with just seeing a diverse range of bodies. Um, and then the last thing would be getting rid of clothes that no longer fit you. So if your clothes are making you feel like shit, if walking into your closet is making you feel like this is a battle, I feel horrible, then getting rid of those clothes um, and finding some clothes that actually fit your current body. And I, I usually say, you know, clothes that have some stretch that you feel comfortable in um, will definitely help. So those three things, if somebody is completely new, can have such a major impact with just starting that shift, um, which is, is, you know, does sometimes require some coaching work. Um, you can do it on your own, but those three things are definitely something to get the ball rolling for sure. Oh, those are really good. And like completely agree with you with the scale thing. And like, I absolutely hate scales. And I tell every female client that I get, I'm like, whatever you do, don't weigh yourself in. Cause I don't think there's ever been a time when someone hops on a scale and they, they come off it feeling really good about themselves. There's always something like, even if the number is like 0.1 up than what it was before, you're not going to have a good day. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, I recently just, um, read this and I think it's a really good point to add to that. This is actually something that I saw from Alyssa Fabella, who is a really great resource in, in, you know, this, this really big work. Um, she's an activist, um, that writes for everyday feminism, but you know, recently she just said, what happens is if we get on the scale and we see a number that we like, we either do two things. We either give ourselves permission to eat food and then we feel like shit, or we restrict ourselves even harder and we feel like shit. Then on the flip side, if we get on a scale and we see a number that we don't like, we either do two things. We restrict because we feel like we're not good enough, or we say, fuck it. I'm a mess. I'm disgusting. And we end up binging anyway. So the outcome is the exact same. It's the exact same, no matter what number you're seeing. If it's a number that you quote unquote approve of, or if it's a number that you quote unquote disapprove of, the the reactions are the exact same. So why the hell are we even stepping on the scale? It's just, it's the same thing that happens. You get to the same outcome. So why are we even doing it? Um, so I thought that was a really, um, 
it, it was something that I never really thought of, but it, it is very true. So no matter what happens, you do to one of two outcomes and both of those can exist no matter what you see on the scale. So we might as well just get rid of it. Plus the scale is a load of shit anyway. Like it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It literally just means how hard gravity is pulling on your body down to the earth. It doesn't measure how beautiful you are. It doesn't measure um, your worthiness. It doesn't measure who you are as a person, which, you know, beauty is another topic. Like who the fuck cares if you're beautiful? Like what is that anyway? way. Um, but it doesn't measure your worth. Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't tell us who you are. It doesn't tell us the purpose that you have in this world. It doesn't tell us your personality. It doesn't tell us your health either. Um, so there's no point to even step on a scale. Literally, there's no point to it besides to just have a mental battle with your own self. And nobody really enjoys doing that. No, that was really good. I like that too. Um, so I was going to bring up a story that I thought would be an interesting, um, thing for you to like almost dissect. So my wife is Filipino and her culture, it's pretty common for like, you know, a family reunion, everyone's having dinner. And even if you're like closest relatives haven't seen you in a while, it's pretty common for them to be like, oh, wow, you gained a lot of weight. And it's just like dead silent. So recently she went to kind of like a family gathering for a funeral and aunts and uncles come in and then they haven't seen my wife in a while. And they're like, oh, you got pretty fat. And then it was just just that. So how would you help someone in like a culture like that, that it's pretty common that their family members are, you know, putting them down and they might not think that it's a big deal. But in reality, it's actually causing a lot of harm and pain in that person's life. Well, I mean, this is so this is so complex. So the first thing I'm going to say is that one of the biggest things I would do would be to reframe the idea that having somebody say, oh, you got fat is something to be ashamed of. Um, that again, ties back to that fat phobia that I'm talking about. So our culture thinks that being fat or gaining weight is something to be ashamed of, or it's associated with being bad, um, or that we shouldn't exist, which isn't the case. So I think one of the biggest things is really reframing that for our own self, because if somebody said that to me and I'm a traditionally medium sized individual, but if somebody said that to me, everybody's like, I don't fucking care uh, because I no longer associate that term fat with being something to be ashamed of. Fat is just a descriptor. That is it. Just like I have green eyes, I'm a blonde, um, and I'm a medium-sized woman, fat is the same thing. It's a very neutral term. Um, so really going through that, I think, for the own individual can definitely help. But on top of that, um, that, that obviously takes a little bit more work, internal work for that, that own individual. But the biggest thing is to kind of set a boundary in place and just be like, yeah, my body is not a topic of conversation. Um, and obviously we can't tell people to not do stuff, but we can let them know, yeah, you know what? Like my body isn't a topic of conversation. I would appreciate it if you wouldn't make comments on my body. And if that isn't an option, just saying, going back to how you feel like, yeah, I feel great. You know, I feel I feel awesome. You know, I'm happy, whatever. Um, so I think those are, are some practical things that we could do. Um, and sometimes people don't even, um, understand what they say and how it can affect us. So, um, obviously if, if fatness is associated with being something negative, uh, within this culture, maybe having a conversation of saying, you know what, this is how this makes me feel. I would appreciate it if you wouldn't make comments on my body, period, no matter what you want to say. Um, and just asking me, how are you feeling? Um, so putting that boundary in place. Um, and then if it does continue walking away, changing the conversation, or again, just going back to, yeah, I feel really good or yeah, I'm feeling this, that, or the other. Um, and then obviously, like I said, really doing your own work to let go of your own bias and internalized fat phobia that you have so that that term doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to you. If somebody would say that you can just be like, okay, whatever, like whatever, <laughs> and just move on yeah. with your life. Yeah. It's just horrible. Cause I remember when I first started dating my wife and like, she told me this is like a regular occurrence and I'm like, holy crap. Like, are you serious? She's like, yeah. Like, it's really common in the Filipino culture. And then I kind of dove into it a little bit more and it's pretty common in, in like Asian culture overall, where, you know, parents will tell their daughters that, Hey, you're getting too big. You need to get slim. And I just feel so bad for all those like young girls that are growing up through, you know, in their teenage years and they having their parents just telling them that you have to be a certain way. 
it just yeah, it just blows my mind that it's still like that. Yeah, I mean, in in most people that have you know like um, body image issues, they start at like nine to ten years old. Um, we have nine to ten year olds that like actively are dieting and that actively are fearful of fat. So that just tells us how our culture really views fat and fat bodies. Um, so that is such a, it is unfortunate that that is happening, but I think one thing that can help is understanding that this is a culture that has conditioned the parents to say this and be this way. Like our parents were conditioned to believe that fatness is bad and that we should always be striving for thinness, just like we were. So when we can look at it as a cultural issue, we can start to see things through a little bit of a different lens than just being like, well, my parents are absolute dicks. They may be, I mean, that's definitely a possibility. They may just be dickheads, but you know, when we can see, well, this is what they've been taught. They've been taught that, um, I should strive for thinness because thinness equals X, Y, and Z. And then I should not be fat because they have associated because of our culture that fatness equals X, Y, Z. So then it kind of helps us shift our perspective um, a little bit and look at it through maybe a little bit more of a compassionate lens if we can. Um, but I think boundaries are definitely one thing because um, nobody has the right to make comments on your body and you're more than, more than welcome to set that boundary in place. Okay. Now, what about like self-talk? Because I've had so many experiences with female clients where they're lean, they're like strong, and they still come up with ideas like my ankles are too fat, my wrists are too fat. Like, how do you help a woman kind of overcome that negative self-talk? I mean, it's the same thing. It goes back to like, what does that even mean? Like, you have to really get behind the belief system because if your belief is associated with fatness being something that you should be ashamed of, then no matter no, no amount of like positive affirmation or like positive self-talk is really going to help you. You have to actively shift your belief system. You have to actively shift what it actually means and the belief behind it. So oftentimes when people say something negative about themselves, what it really means is I'm not worthy. I'm unlovable. Um, I'm unhealthy. I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. So you have to do this process of really getting to the root of what's really going on. Like what is really behind that? What does it actually mean? Okay, what if you do have fat ankles? Then then like, what does that actually mean for you as a person? Um, and then just going through that layering process of getting behind the belief system. But it all is rooted in beliefs. So if you have a belief system that is associated that fatness or bigness or weight gain is something to be ashamed of and that it means X, Y, and Z, then no amount of positive self-talk is going to help. Um, <laughs> you, can, you could try to positive self-talk, but if you don't feel that to your core, and you're not actively trying to shift your belief system, you're only going to get so far. Um, it only, it's, it's not going to get you very far because if you're not believing something, um, it's like saying, I love my body when you're just starting out in this process. It's not, it's going to feel, um, it's going to feel in, inauthentic. You're not, it's not going to hit for you. So maybe it's okay to just say, Right now, I don't like my ankles. Um, and then work on the belief system of normalizing and seeing that whatever, like this this is just a body part and this is your body part and there's nothing wrong with it. Um, so it's the associative narrative that we've been conditioned to believe that is linked to what that actually means. So it's all, again, it's all around beliefs. So if you can get to the belief, then you can actually create the shift. So I think one thing, obviously, is just to acknowledge that maybe you don't like this part of your body um, and have that be okay. Understand that you're not going to like every single part of your body and have that be okay. Um, and instead of trying to chase perfectionism in the other side where we're like, I have to like every single thing about my body, including my big toe, um, where we could just say, okay, there's some, some parts of my body that I don't like some that I'm relatively neutral about. Um, and some that I actually really enjoy. Um, but if we can come to a place of neutrality, which is really just saying, okay, this is my ankle versus I hate my own ankle. It's disgusting. It's horrible. I'm disgusting. I'm a failure. Then we can start to kind of go there. But, um, it starts with really just noticing that, you you know what, what does this thought actually mean for me? Um, where have I learned this and really being curious, like I said, to get behind because it's all, it's all about beliefs. Once you can change the belief, that's when the real, real shift happens. Okay. Now, what kind of advice would you give to like male trainers that are dealing with, you know, female clients that are constantly saying all this kind of crap and even like the male spouses out there that, 
you know, they have their wives come home and they're saying all this shit. And sometimes guys don't really know how to deal with emotions and don't know what to say. So what would be your advice for all the guys out there? I think that, you know, it, the, the immediate reaction that I often see is individuals to say, no, you're beautiful just as you are. No, you're, you're pretty just as you are. But that's still putting a lot of emphasis on appearance that and then in that at it like that itself. Right. Like that's still putting a lot of emphasis on appearance versus who the woman actually is as a person and what she has to offer this world. Um, and really, that's the ultimate goal with having uh, more peaceful relationship with your body is knowing that you're more than your body. Um, so I don't think there's anything wrong with saying things like, no, I think you're beautiful. I love you no matter what. Um, or no, I think that you're incredible, blah, blah, blah. But I think also saying, you know what, I'm going to, I think you're an amazing human being because X, Y, and Z. I love you because you're compassionate, because you also follow through, because you're forgiving, because you're empathetic and really focusing on the, um, who that person is versus their actual appearance. And then also just naming it and being like, wow, that's something really like, that's not very nice to say to somebody that I love, you know, like that. I don't, I don't like you saying those things to the person that I love because that's really what it is. Like people are just berating themselves and beating themselves up. And we wouldn't oftentimes say that to our best friend or somebody that we love. Right. So I think that's also another question that you, we can oftentimes use is saying, you know, would you say that to your best friend or what would you say to your best friend in this particular situation? Um, but, um, you know, I think it comes back down to just not buying into appearance as a whole. I think that it's difficult in, you know, relationships, um, but understanding that attractiveness and beauty is more, um, is more than skin deep, right? Like it's, it's a deeper connection that you have with that individual, which is why you have that relationship. So that's as far as relationship, as far as personal trainers, I think that the one thing that we could do is just call awareness to it and be, ask them those questions of like, what does that actually mean, um, for you? Um, and focusing on instead of appearance driven fitness, focusing on maybe athletic driven, um, fitness or like what your body can do and like playing those things like, Oh, but look at what you did. You just like squatted this, or like you just hit this yoga pose, or like, this is the longest that you've ran or like whatever. And focusing on that, that's a way to empower that individual to feel the empowerment of what their body can do versus what their body looks like. Yeah, you're right. Cause like, women when they like first start going into the gym they almost have like no expectation of what they can actually do and I love seeing this change in them when you know they first deadlift their body weight or they get their first chin up unassisted and then they realize like holy crap I'm getting strong this is awesome and it just like almost empowers them just to feel a little bit better and kind of like you know have that extra spring in their step because they just they're like basically just turned into this badass. And I just love seeing that. Yeah. It can definitely help to focus on, you know, um, versus appearance, what your body can do for sure. But that also becomes a little problematic, you know, depending on the individual, because then we get people that are chasing, a different type of obsession, right? We get people that are chasing, um, then they, we have people that end up with exercise addiction. I'm not saying this is for everybody, but it's, I think we just have to really have an open communication with clients, especially if you're a fitness professional, um, an open communication on how they're feeling, um, and what their relationship is. Because if somebody is chasing, um, you know, like powerlifting and I was a powerlifter, so I, I, I'm, this is coming from my own personal experience too. But if you're constantly chasing something and working past fatigue and not listening, to your body and treating it with, um, disrespect, um, then we really haven't made much of a shift. And if we think that our worthiness then lies on how much we can run, how fast we can run or the distance that we can run or how much weight we lifted, then it really hasn't changed much from appearance. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that actually does happen. That's why the, the statement of strong is the new skinny can be a little problematic because instead of basing our worthiness and what we need to strive for on appearance, it's now being on the basis of strength. So it seems initially like that, that statement initially is like, Oh, this is a little bit better, but what, what happens if you can't, you know, obtain this or what happens? Um, what is strong? So being curious and just opening that conversation. But I definitely think that is a a very good step to just focus on what your body can do. And that can help with embracing your body as is as well, for sure. Now, have you ever seen any like bad advice out there on body image? Like, you know, someone on the internet is 
quoting themselves as a body image coach, but you've seen what they wrote or what they, you know, said in a video and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe you said that. Have you ever had an experience like that? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the body positive community is like blowing up right now and it's becoming really mainstream. And I think the biggest issue, if somebody is positioning themselves as a body image coach, which is, does happen, but they're still selling weight loss. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? That is too, it is literally too counter things. Um, cause when you like this, this hour that we've been talking, we haven't even dove into a lot of the stuff that is involved with body image, but it's completely counter to body image work to be selling weight loss or upholding weight loss and dieting. It, it is like, what the fuck are you actually doing? And it does happen. Um, so that's the absolute worst advice that, that I've seen. And it, it like I said, it does happen. And I just have to be like, roll my eyes and and just keep going with what i'm doing <laughs> yeah like there that, that's the trouble with our industry is that like because social media is so available to everybody you know you can just put on your tagline on instagram that you're a body image coach or you're an online personal trainer and if you're ripped and you know you take a lot of shirtless selfies then that qualifies you to coach other people apparently now yeah, I mean, everybody can become an expert, right? Like, that's that's a problem. Like, everybody's an expert, a self-proclaimed expert. But that's not really the case. So I would just um, interview those people and see what's really being taught. Maybe see their um, testimonials or see how they follow their work in different areas. So if it's a body image coach, like really listen to other podcasts or their writing, have they written for other people? What are they really saying? Um, and what are the people that are saying that actually work with them? Because, you know, it's, it's, it is very problematic and it's really easy to become a personal trainer. I just said this on interviewing, um, a fat personal trainer the other day for my podcast. Um, it's really easy to become a personal trainer. Like I was one and I mean, I didn't have to study, you know, like I, I had a health background, so I was educated and I come from, I had years of experience. So, um, whenever somebody says they're a personal trainer, I just kind of laugh because it doesn't mean that they're actually educated. It doesn't mean that they know how to, um, work with your particular body. It doesn't mean that they actually understand things. Um, so just be conscious of that. And the same with body image coaches. Uh, people think that just because they had their own issues and they've overcome them, that that makes them an expert, but it doesn't like it requires you to really understand the psychological components to understand coaching as a whole. Um, and to really do research, you have to actively be, um, informed of what you're talking about. And a lot of people don't. So, um, which can be very harmful. That's the problem that, that it ends up harming individuals. And that's the same with personal trainers. If they don't know how to, you know, uh, properly look at a squat and, and change the, the person's, um, mechanics, you know, how their body works, if they don't know how to do that, then that person can just get injured. So I think we just have to be aware of uh, who's calling themselves an expert, you know, and, and obviously, social media numbers don't mean shit. Like, let's throw that out there. Like, <laughs> yeah, doesn't mean anything. And it's tough in my industry because, like, anytime I get a, you know, a new client come in and for the consultation, I always ask, like, oh, have you had a trainer before? And probably nine out of ten times, they always say yes. Mm -hmm. And then I ask, like, well, why aren't you seeing them anymore? And it's always because of a bad experience. And then they tell yeah. me these stories. And I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> All right. Like, yeah. you either get injured or they try to push like I hate this is the worst one is like when trainers push their goals onto their clients and the yeah. clients are like no I don't want to do that but they're still kind of like no you have to and I'm like oh man they are making a bad name for us out here yeah but I mean everybody has like we you have the power to stop anything that you started, right? Like, so if somebody is disrespecting you or you're not, you feel like you're not getting what you need, you, and that's you, the listeners have the power to say, okay, I'm done here. Like you don't have to continue working with a personal trainer or a coach if it's not working out for you. And especially if they are like, I've seen, I've seen it too in the gym where people I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like this person <laughs> is literally going to injure this person. Like it would, I've seen it before. So it's definitely, it's definitely out there, but you know, that doesn't mean that they're all out there. I think that you have to just, um, 
shop and find somebody that works for you. It may take some time, but there are definitely personal trainers and coaches out there that um, know what they're doing, that will respect you and will listen to you. So just know that you can leave them if they're not working with you. Definitely. Uh, so last question, cause it's already been an hour. Um, where can people find you online? Um, what's your social media where people can follow you? And if you have any projects coming out, books, things like that, just plug away. Yeah. So you can find me on my website, saravance.com. That's where I have all my blogs. There's, um, a tab. If you go saravance.com slash freebies, you can get my free ebook and also join my community of like-minded individuals who are on the same journey of just learning to accept their body and live their damn lives. Um, and through that, you will also know, uh, the links to my social media. So all across the social media boards, it is Sarah Vance, which is my nickname. Um, so it's S A R E. And then my last name, V-A-N-C-E. Um, and then also I have a podcast as well, which is the Reclaiming You podcast, which is dedicated to a lot of the stuff that I've been talking about here. Um, I interview a wide range of individuals, fitness professionals, um, registered dietitians, activists, and in- individuals that are all over. So we talk about a lot of the same stuff, um, that we've, that I've been talking about here on this podcast. Um, And as far as projects, I don't have anything in the works right now. I'm just doing my one-on-one coaching. um, And then I'll probably end up doing a cycle of breaking boundaries, which I said earlier is that, you know, individual, um, it's the beginner's guide to learning how to accept your body and have food freedom. I'll probably do a group cycle of that a little bit later in the fall, maybe late summer, but you can do that at any time um, on your own. And it's a self-paced program. So that's all I have for now. I'm just, you know, living life coaching my clients, writing and podcasting and enjoying it. So that's pretty much it. Sweet. Um, I just want to thank you so much. Like this was probably one of the best interviews for like information. You were just like completely amazing. (laughs) Thank you for having me um, and opening the conversation. You know, it's something that within the fitness industry and because I I live in a very odd in between, right? Because I come from the fitness industry and a lot of my clients come from me because they're personal trainers or they work in healthcare or they're former competitors. Um, so I live in the between of my community of body positivity, anti-dieting and living your damn lives and the fitness community. Um, so I'm, I'm the in-between person. So what I would really like to see is more fitness professionals really start shifting the narrative that we have been conditioned to believe around fitness. So I appreciate you opening this conversation and opening the door and even just being curious yourself, because I know, um, it's, it's counter counter mainstream. And I think that's really, um, really great of you to start having that conversation and be curious for your own self and for your clients. Well, yeah, I think it's super important because this is the stuff that not a lot of people talk about, but starting to gain some momentum. So I'm like, we need more information. We need more people like you out there. So then, you know, your client on Facebook is not going to click some stupid guru on how to lose weight and click your yeah. name instead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If we could, ampl- we just have to learn how to band together and amplify a better message. Um, and people want it. And that's the thing. Like uh, people are ready to hear a different language. I think many people are tired of the constant go hard, go home, you know, blah, 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 bullshit. Like people are over it. It's a really boring conversation. So it's time for us to all collectively opt out and start, um, shifting the narrative that we've been hearing. So our children and the people that are coming after us, they have something better because, um, we've all been affected by what we've been conditioned to believe. So, um, it's much bigger than us and if it, it, but it's bigger than us, but it also starts with us. So. All right. So that's going to wrap up episode 51 of Sarah Vance. I hope you enjoyed that one because she was absolutely amazing. Now, again, Please, 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 please share this podcast. Check out the website, cuttheshitgetfit.com. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at rafael at empowerhp.ca. And, you know, give me a shout out on social media. And the other thing you might have seen that I posted online is the official Cut the Shit Get Fit t-shirts. And they're going to be available on the one-year anniversary of this podcast, which is going to be in August. So keep your eyes out for that because I'm going to have these shirts available for only a week for purchase and you don't want to miss out because they're badass come on they are and i know you want one so keep an eye out for that and we'll see you guys next week